Hey, Harland. How are you doing? I took a spring break. Winter break, kind of. Came back to Kansas, felt like I was coming back to Alaska. We went to Florida. Hey, everybody traveling back from Florida, how you doing? <laughs> Man, it's a, it, was, it was warm. It was great. We took what's becoming like an annual trip for the Jacobson family. And the way we do Florida, let me just tell you about my trip so you don't think I'm like, you know, extravagantly spending tons of money on my vacations. Um, we don't go to Daytona Beach. We go to Nana's house down in Florida, uh, which is phenomenal. Thank you, Nana. She's probably watching right now. Can you all give it up for uh, my mother-in-law for hosting my family for the past couple of days? Thank you. It was amazing. Uh, she lives in a part of Florida that's like, um, so there's no beaches. And it, it's dominated by, um, I'm going to look at some young people when I say this. It's dominated by people who are retired. <laughs> you know the type of place in Florida? You kind of got the vibe now, right? It's a little, it's a little, little different. Um, and, and it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, we loved our time away from the hustle and bustle of like the everyday life, school and work. We woke up late. We made our way to shuffleboard every day. I loved it. That's not a knock. I'm telling you about how great my vacation was. We then found our way to the pool. We found meals. Just, they, they was like, oh, where's food going to come from? And then we found it. And then we would watch the sunset. And then we would do the whole thing over the next day. It was really, it was really lovely. It was really, it was really needed. But um, in the midst of all of this, you, know, you, you meet a bunch of people in these communities that are built, you know, where everybody kind of just immigrates into a location. You meet all these people who are really interesting from all over the place. And um, in this particular instance, you walk around with three little kids and everybody looks at you like you're an, a stranger. Like, I remember that life is kind of what it's like. And one lady saw our kindergartner and she beelined it over for us. And she said, you must be in kindergarten in a former life is what she said. I was a kindergarten teacher. And she, we got to talking. She's a really wonderful, wonderful woman. And um, then she looked at us and with a smirk, kind of, I felt like maybe this is her standard question for everybody to get her to a point where she could brag about herself. She asked us, she said, so, how long do you get to stay? That was how she phrased it. If you ever I felt like an outsider, it was then. How long do you get? You're, we're doing you a service right now, young man. That's how I, how I got it. I told her this is a couple days. And then she smiled. She says, I'm lucky. I never have to leave. <laughs> now, look, this is an interesting phenomenon because... Um, all of the distractions of life and the comfort of life had in that moment become very aware and, and prominent to someone who was maybe far from that stage. I'm looking at, you know, a good 35 more years of doing this, you know, hopefully, God willing. And um, retirement's not even in my purview. So I'm walking into this neighborhood with a very different perspective of life. And to hear someone who, in my perspective, is a lot can I say something really awkward, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Here's the unspoken thing about these places. She's a lot closer to death than me. Is that weird to say? Can I say that? Is that like totally inappropriate? It's what I was thinking. It felt to me when she says, I never have to leave. I, I thought, well, you found home. 
This is what she's saying. I found my home. This is my forever home. This is my final home. This is my beautiful, lavish, carefree home. I'm lucky. I live in Florida. I wanted to be so happy for her. I'm sure I was polite and smiled and whatever, but inside my heart sank. Because I knew I had to preach on 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 today. Which I think, one of the reasons that we teach every so often through a book of the Bible is because uh, it forces you to deal with topics that maybe you, me, as a pastor, might be tempted to skip over. So we, we walk through an entire book of the Bible and... Um, we also put, preach through a book of the Bible for days like today so that retired people don't feel like I'm coming after you, okay? I didn't, I didn't single you out to be like, you know what we need to talk about in Heartland is retirement because, man. No, no, we're just walking our way through the Bible. It's one of the beautiful ways to do this. And, and, and what Peter's going to give us today is the tremendous capacity for all of us to improve our lives for the better, to find home. But it's going to happen in a way that's really at odds with the model that we've defaulted to here in our American culture. If you ask anyone to stretch out the, or sketch out the probable arc of their life, most likely you'll get something like this. I'll grow up, I'll learn to work so that I don't have to work. I mean, that's, that's kind of us. And Peter's going to say, that's not going to work. Let's, let's dig into it. Here, here's what he says. Um, follow along with me. We're going to cover 11 verses today. Uh, Therefore, out of the hope that you have, thanks Brad for teaching that last week, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. This is a mindset today. There's something about the way that we approach our lives with this specific mindset that Peter's going to help us with. The same attitude as Jesus because whoever suffers in the body has done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, uh, and detestable idolatry. Man, what a list. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless and wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Now, I told you we didn't go to Daytona Beach where that list might have been more appropriate. We went to a retirement center, home, place, community. And um, had I actually visited Daytona Beach, you might have thought that, you know, this would be more in line with Peter's main point. Tell those carousers to straighten up. But Paul, calling out people in, in, in today is not Peter's point in this passage. He wants us to get to the heart of our lives and the purpose that drives us to do what we do. And to make his point, he, he shows us this concept that you and I are all very aware of, but it gets tucked to the back of our mind. And Peter wants to pull that from the subconscious level to the conscious level and tell us that all of us have limited time. I, there's a phrase in there. I don't know if you caught it. It's very ominous. He, he uses this phrase. He says, the rest of your lives. The rest of your lives. His words are true for you and true for me. We all have a finite time in this world. This is a heavy idea. Because uh, the, the, the question is really, 
one of these. Have you ever seen this before? Have you seen these? I hate these. Because one, I get anxiety, right? Any, any clock that counts down. This is why we don't have the countdown clock in here, because I, I would just be anxious the whole time preaching. Um, but but uh, you watch a basketball game, and what happens? The clock ticks down, and you get more nervous with less than a minute in the game, don't you? Why? Because you know how much time you have left. And so um, all of us have this sort of existence that, that we live in. This, this type of grains of sand going through. I, um, I've, I've shared that I was going to do this with a couple of people here at Heartland. They're like, oh yeah, like days of our lives. <laughs> and I watched The prices right? When I was home from school at sick, you know, I didn't watch days of our lives, so I have no idea what that is. But, but here's, here's, how, here's how it works, right? I mean, you just got, you got basic. You got the beginning of your life. This is, let me just help you out. You didn't know how it, how it works. Can you see this? You got the beginning. And then, um, where are you? You're here. And where are you heading? Towards the ending. Cheery message. What do you guys think? <laughs> just put this right front and center. Uh, I promise when this is done, I will get off the stage. It's a heavy subject for us because um, when, when we look at time, when we think about time, we've got this whole entire concept of here's where I've started, here's where it's gone, I'm living in the middle, I can't stop the drip, it's going, it's going, it's going, and I'm, I can never get back what's in this one, all I have is this one. It leads us to a sense of pessimism or fatalism. For some of you, you're really anxious right now just thinking about this, you're like, can we please just talk about anything else? I'd talk about um, hell today if you wanted to, just not this. And this is hard because you don't know. This is the tricky thing. All of us tune in. You don't know how long is the rest of your life. This is a fixed system. I mean, this is, Amazon told me 30 minutes is what I had here. So I'm really banking on this. I should have tried this out. It looks a lot faster to me now that I see it moving. <laughs> this may be a grace of God for you. But um, you don't know how long. It's going to be. But here's what Peter wants us to, to see through this passage today, is that what you believe about this, the end of your life, determines what you do here in your present with what you have still ahead of you in your future. You guys follow that logic. Here's the question Peter wants us to ask is, how do followers of Jesus actually think about the rest of their lives? You sit down with retirement specialists, financial advisors, your kids, talk about health care, medical care, all these things. How are you thinking about your life in terms of its purpose, its goals, your spiritual outcomes? And Peter has something really, really important to say to us today. As the clock drains, he wants us to think so clearly on this. And, and, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell us that our, our past needs to be viewed in light of our future which tells us how to live today. That's where, that's where he's going with us. And let me just walk us through that very simply. He said already, the time for sin is past. It's in the past tense. It's, it's gone. The time for sin is past. This sounds weird, almost like there was an open enrollment period for sin. 
Like, you could have actually had carte blanche authority to do whatever you wanted. Who cares? Peter's not suggesting there was ever an okay time for us to sin. He's saying that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're aware of the evils of sin in your life, and you want to live for God's good life. your, Your nature changes, and all of a sudden it becomes unnatural for you to want to to sin. It is unnatural for the spiritually alive person in Jesus to want to go back to their dead ways before Jesus. Let's talk about, let's talk about sin. <laughs> um, sin is any action that goes against God's desires. Uh, Jesus amps it up in his, that's the Old Testament teaching. Jesus in the New Testament, he, teach, he teaches, actually says, it's not just any action that you do, but it's also about your thoughts. So you remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you've heard this before, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you, you've heard it said this, but I also tell you this. One of the things he says about adul- adultery, he says, um, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's this like ratcheting up Jesus does in the New Testament to say, it's not just about whatever actions you do, but your thoughts are also called, make you culpable to sins affecting your lives. Why is this a big deal? Because God's design in this world is based upon his goodness and his justice. So sin is anything in the world that brings about an injustice. To mentally violate another person then is to act unjustly towards them. It's a failure to love your neighbor. It's Jesus' point. As a general observation, this is not a message on sin, but as a pastor, a general observation, after studying the Bible, talking to people, living my own sinful life, this is what I think I could say about sin. Most of the sin that we commit in this life is either thinking too little about God thinking too little about others, or thinking way too much about ourselves. Say that again. Much of sin in our lives, not exclusively, but much of it, is thinking too little about God, too little about others, and too much about ourselves. We take God's word, we put it low. We put our opinions, we put them high. We, we take our preferences, we put them high. We take other people's needs, we put them low. And in God's perfect world, he says, what I said is ultimate. What you do for others is penultimate. And then what you do for you comes naturally after that. When we say Jesus was sinless, one of the ways this worked itself out was in his living. He thought almost exclusively about God and his neighbors and wildly little about himself, even when he experienced suffering. Do you remember he's on the cross and he says, he prays, he says, Father, forgive them. How about like, ouch, this hurts. He goes, no. Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. And notice how Peter roots his argument for us that the time for our sin is in the past. He says this. He says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers is done with sin. Done with sin. Because Jesus died and gave up his life, His sacrifice made it such that we could be done with sin. He put sin to death because he paid the penalty for it. But you and I now have the opportunity and the availability to choose not to sin in this life. He he made it possible for us to live the life that he lived by following God's will, not being controlled by our own desires. Peter says, this is how you used to live, and that time is ended. That time is already ended past. And then notice what he says here. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do. It's kind of just like going with the flow of your society. 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine who served as, an, as an, a Marine. He served two, two tours of duty and came back, and I remember being in a car with him one day, and we were driving together. I asked him, like, what's it like to be back from your tours? I just didn't know how to broach the subject with him. It's a really interesting time for him to come back into our, our culture, and, and I just wanted to see where he was at. And he said, man, going, you know, he was like, being overseas was hard, but going through the boot camp process as a Marine was incredibly valuable to me because they helped shake me out of all the sloppy civilian life that I had lived. He described his life before being a Marine as careless and haphazard as, and, and as boot camp of being rewiring of a discipline in a way that I'll never forget him talking about it, shaking his sloppy civilian life out of him. That, that 20 years ago, that phrase still rings in my mind. He had suffered. His suffering had caused him a better future. And the same is true for us in faith. Our faith is such that we cannot follow Jesus and be lazy regarding sin in our lives. Even if People around us invite us to sin and, and, and our abstaining from it invites their jeers because they don't know Jesus. Peter's point is very simple. Don't be enticed to join other people in their various injustices and sin because sin for the follower of Jesus is in the past. And what this tells me about God, here's where I think this hits the road for you and me, is that God takes second chances very seriously. This is really good news for us because I, I think you and I know how we are, we're skeptics about anybody who's claiming to live a changed life because we knew them when. We knew what they were like when the lights weren't on them. But when they came to find Jesus, and when, maybe for you, when you came to find Jesus, you found that your desires changed, you're a new person, and God gave you a brand new second chance. God sent his son to die and rise again to give us a second chance. That's a big deal. It means that he's dealt with sin already and we can't hold on to it trying to fix our focus on our sin and shame and feel like we just got to overcome this big bad thing that's looming over us, the cloud of guilt that persists with us through our lives because of the injustices that we ourselves have lived under. When we are forgiven people, God takes the injustice upon his son and says, I forgive you completely, totally. You are free to walk in that and you have a second chance. The time for sin is past. That's the old day that you used to live in. Today is a new day. That's what that means for us. And if you live in light of a new day, walk out the light of that new day. One of the ways that Peter is talking about this is these followers of Jesus who have been scattered and left to themselves here and Bithynian and all, all the old ancient world, which today is now modern-day Turkey. They were people who had been pressured into different actions that would go against worshiping Jesus, putting Jesus first. And Peter says, don't be tempted by the jeers of the people who don't believe in your transformation. Stay the course. You know, over the years, I've had friends who find forgiveness of Jesus and Maybe God saved them out of addictions or God saved them out of some sort of moral failure and they find Jesus in a radical way and their old friends and family scratch their heads and they're surprised because this dude stopped coming around to the old haunts, they stopped trashing other people, they st started doing other stuff to help people and they think they've lost their mind. 
Peter actually says, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Look at, look at what it says. He says, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I'll come back to that at the end of this message, but um, Peter doesn't want us to be ignorant that living a life for God may draw unfair criticism and unjust treatment. That's why he says what he says next. He says, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So you're going to die. Let's talk about sin, and now let's talk about judgment. <laughs> Sign up to be a pastor, guys. It's really fun. Um, I want to talk about judgment for a second. Because this is where Peter moves next. He says the time for sin has passed, but the time for judgment is coming. That's his point. There is coming a day where God will judge the world. And I think a lot of us hear sin, judgment, and death, and we imagine this pitchfork God who's really angry and ticked off and actually like chomping at the bit to, to smash puny old you to give you what you deserve. And this is the trope that we have in our world. Um, there's this scene, judgment is nothing that any of us like. I think you, you think of like performance reviews in your own company, nobody likes being evaluated or judged for your performance. There's this episode in The Office, which is my absolute favorite show. Um, but there's an episode in The Office where Angela, who is like the Hollywood version of a Christian, she's judgy and a hypocrite and everything we don't want to be, right? No one here is like, I want to be Angela. But she has this, this quote in the episode where they're doing performance reviews, and she says, I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well, even to severe scrutiny. Said only one person, and that was on TV. <laughs> no, we think judgment, at the end of time, God is going to unleash his wrath, and it's going to happen to us. But listen, everybody... Hang with me. That is not the story of judgment in the Bible. The story of judgment in the Bible is that God has judged the sins of the world already in Jesus. That by faith in him, you are forgiven and you are freed. Judgment, and last time, Peter actually makes a really big deal about this. If you've had ears to hear it, you've heard this language for, for four chapters now. He, he talks seven times so far in this letter. He's used the phrase, in these last times or in the last days. Jesus will come in the end. That's itself another message. God will come then to judge the earth. And almost always, this results, if you just go back into 1 Peter and look at some of the ways that he talks about this, this results in Peter's theology of, of us being awed and having praise and joy and worship to God. Not fear, not panic, and not Armageddon. How is judgment for us good? Why should we not look at this and pee our pants? <laughs> Why should we not look at this and reject God? Why should we not look at this and say, if that's the type of God that you believe in, then I don't want any part of that? Because here's why. Here's why God will deal. This is what Peter's saying. God will deal. He stands ready to judge. He is not judging yet. He stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And God will deal with sin one way or another. By saying this, Peter is saying very clearly, as a follower of Jesus in this world, judgment is not your job, it's God's. Amen, everybody? Our job is not to walk around this world telling everybody where they're going to spend the rest of their time. 
Our job is simply to trust in the fact that God has judged our sin already in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, what we believe is that on the cross, our punishment for our sin was paid by him once and for all. That at the end of our lives, when we go meet our maker, as we talk about it so casually, that we'll stand before him and we will look him in the eye. What a day that will be. And he'll, he'll look at us and he won't see our evil deeds or our sin. He'll see the righteousness of Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins. We are covered by Jesus. He has paid the debt for us. There's a, a pastor named Russell Moore who once said this famously. It's a great quote. He says, because Jesus died for our sins, then the worst thing that could ever happen to you, the judgment of God for your sin, has already happened to you. Let me say that again. Because Jesus has died for our sins, the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened to you. Jesus has paid for your sins. So why do we talk about this as the coming judgment? Well, because if you don't know Jesus, you are not under his grace. And let that be a haunting invitation today for you to take seriously the claims of the Bible. But if you are someone who has come and found Jesus as your savior, that you believe that he's risen from the dead, he's changing you from the inside out, that then you stand in God's judgment, not as a consequence for your bad actions, but as a, this is crazy to us, God's judgment for those who follow Jesus is a reward. You say, well, why do we call it judgment? Well, it's because that's what we call it in our legal system. I have a friend who a couple years ago was driving his car on the highway, got hit by a semi, got hurt really badly. He's alive. Um, it was a hard couple of years, but his insurance company got him, I think the, the number was $10 million is what, what they gave this guy. And they awarded it as the judgment in his case. I don't know about you, but he's not, if it was me, I wouldn't be angry about that judgment. That's a reward. That's a repayment for him. And God's judgment for us is often seen in gifts of grace and goodness. If we have faith in Jesus, we have hope in the future. God has good in store for us here. The best is always yet to come for those who follow Jesus. We should not shrink back or be afraid of the coming of our, the end of our lives to meet God. We should say, thank you, God, that what should have happened to me isn't going to happen to me. And then instead, you're going to be giving grace to me. You say, Dan, I'm not perfect. I don't think I deserve anything good. God says, I know. That's why I sent my perfect son. So he could do this for you. You say, I don't believe in Jesus. And God knows. I actually think that's why our church exists, why God put it in the hearts of many people years ago to start this church so that we could be people who make it our job to show the love of Jesus to everyone around so that lives can change for the better. And our hope is that through us, you'll see God's opening up your heart today to trust him and find the, heart, the life that your heart longs for too. So the church's job isn't judgment, that's God's job. Our job is what Peter moves to next. He says this, that the time to work is now. The time for sin is past, the time for judgment is future, and that's all God's business. He's going to take care of that. What do we do today? What attitude should we have today? We should be looking at our day 
today is a time to work. Notice what he says. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may, there's, there's four verbs here, so that you may pray. That's the first thing. Spend your time talking to God about how you should live your life. Above all, there's a second thing, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Good gracious, that's hard for my kids and probably for me too, if I'm honest. Offer hospitality. That, that means open your table up and let people come in and live among you. Live in your family, in your, in your space. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Gift in the Bible, we don't have time to go into this today, but it's like the spiritual enablement that God gives to a person by faith to help them build other people up. Use whatever gifts you have, whether that's talents or pulses or heartbeats or, or desires or, or, or ways that you, you know, I call these superpowers. Like use your powers for good, not evil. Use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever we do today, we have to be actively working, praying, loving, offering hospitality, and serving one another. You, you and I, you know, we'll, hopefully this is true. We will, that one day, I will hopefully one day, retire from a career. You will probably stop doing your job someday. But Peter's point for us is that not one of us are ever to retire from the mission of God. If you follow Jesus, you're still alive, you have opportunity to show God's grace to other people. Peter knew very well what he was saying because he himself knew that his time was short. I want to show you two verses. Peter actually tells in the next letter that he would write to a, a group of Christians, he says, the Lord is not, no, let's go to the next one, the next one. He, he says, um, I think it's right to refresh uh, your memory as long as I live in the tent. That's a really temporary idea because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter was one of the rare people who actually had a birth certificate with an expiration date printed on it. You see, uh, back in John, at the end of John, Jesus says very clearly to Peter, the guy who's writing this letter, he says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said these to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter knew that his time on earth would not be long. And sure enough, I, I think the way that we understand the dating of this text, it was just maybe a few months or possibly a year or two after he wrote these words in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We know that he was killed by Emperor Nero. But today, you know, you and I, we ridicule Nero and we study Peter. You, you and I today, we don't think highly of Nero. We think highly of Peter. You and I today, we don't actually give stock to what Nero said or how he lived, but we esteem and we value and we listen to him. And here we are in 2023 actually paying attention very clearly to who Peter is and what he said. Why? 
because he knew that in between these times of the beginning and the end, that we all control only today. Peter worked hard to pray and to love and to show hospitality and to serve using his gifts in this moment of his life with whatever he had up here so that we could benefit from it in the future. And this is what our call is today, is to, we say it this way at Heartland, make space to build relationships that make Jesus first. Prayer, love, hospitality, service are all works that are best carried out in relationships. Actually, I want to say it this way. What Peter is calling us to today in this life isn't to dwell on our own individual sin. That's all past. It's not to join other people in their sin. That's all past. It's not to worry about other people's futures. It's not to worry about our own future. That's all in God's hands. For us today, what we do is we work hard at loving people. And I wish this ended in a different place, but this is where Peter pushes us. And here's why I say that. It's because relationships take work. Am I right? Don't look at your family. Don't look at your spouse. We had a parenting conference here this the other, a couple weeks ago. Why? Because parenting takes work. We'll do in the future marriage conferences. And, 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 and why? Because marriage takes work. We do things like emotionally healthy relationships. Why? Because relationships take work. And the best way for us to live out our faith is in the context of relationship. I think about work. Work, by its definition, is power multiplied by time. Our purpose here between these times is to put our power to work for the rest of our time. And I want you to see this because sometimes we talk about like, what do you do for the rest of your life? And it's like, you know, serve. And that's right. But notice how free this is, what Peter says. He, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. How? As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's just kindness. Because God's been good to you, be good to others. But Notice, uh, if, if I would keep going, he would say, if you ever teach, then use the words of God. If you uh, speak, speak the words of God. If, you, if you, love, you love with the power of God. There's actually no one right way for me to tell you how to do this in your life. This is kind of where the Holy Spirit works in the mystery of our faith. He, he just takes people and he puts them on mission to point other people to follow Jesus. And so what is it in your life that is pushing you out of bed today? Is it fear of God or shame in what's in your past? Is it fear of how much time you have left? Peter, Peter tells us, no, you ought to today be serving other people and finding your purpose and your true joy, not in where you've landed in the comfort of your own home, but in the fact that you have a mission to carry out. Why? Well, he says it at the end. He says, so that God may be praised in Jesus. So here, here's, what it, here's where it is. Let me speak really directly. Some of us need to get out of retirement spiritually. You may be 23 years old and feel like you've done all you're going to do for Jesus. You may be 73 years old. You may have started churches, logged some hours amongst staff members as pastors. You've passed out 
thousands of meals with Harvester. You've served students before. You've helped the special needs students. Now, now is a time in your life where, where you're going to let the younger people take over and, and, and you've paid your dues. And Peter says, fair enough. But who can you bring into your home and mentor? If you're, if you're done with the structures of organized religion serving, that's fine. But you cannot check out of the mission that God's given each and every one of us to love one another and to show hospitality and to use our gifts. Kristen had a, a grandma at the end of her life who was so old and weak. And she kept saying, I don't know why God has me here, but I know that he's got a purpose for me. And so what she would do is she would just write cards to the younger women in the church. The sweetest little cards just encouraging them. Who can you fit around your dining room table and enrich with your example? Who can you love despite your failings and their failings? Who can in your act of embracing where love stretches over and covers a multitude of sins, who can you invite into your life? Relationships take work. But may we never retire from serving each other. Heartland, may we never retire from serving each other. May we never stop giving others our best so that the love of Jesus can be tangibly felt. You know, there's a promise that comes at the end of all of this. Jesus said it uh, earlier in the in scriptures in Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is. He's sharing a story and he, he tells that at the end of this servants who work hard for their master, there's a reward that comes, a judgment is given. When I meet Jesus face to face, this is what I'm hoping my heart hears. It's this phrase, well done, it's a judgment, good and faithful worker, servant, non-retired one. <laughs> the promise is enter into my rest. Rest is here. Work is here. This is a promised judgment for the follower of Jesus who lives the rest of their earthly life for God. And when we trust in God's grace to us in Jesus and live with eternity in mind, I want to just show you this because I nailed it. <laughs> That's 50 bucks for all of you guys who told me I couldn't do it. Here's what happens. And this is a, it was a trap the whole entire time because... The actual goal of what we get in Jesus is not past or, or future to present to past. Out of our endings, you come to faith in Jesus, he welcomes you into his presence. Out of our endings, he gives us new beginnings. It's world without end. It's eternal life in the home that is forever where we belong. And what I love about Jesus' statement, well done, good and faithful servant. He actually gives the person more responsibilities in the next life. Which means you and I should not try and escape work or service or love. We should lean into it. Because it's what we're designed to excel at. Now, I don't know where you're at today. If, if, if the guilt of your past looms over you. I hope that you find freedom in Jesus because his judgment for you is not harsh. It is kind. He's paid the price. He has 
ended your sin so that you can have a new beginning. I wonder if you're wondering today, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to serve. I just want to encourage you this way. Pray. Do what Peter says. Pray. Ask God. God, how would you have me love other people? And then love them. Hang with them. Serve them. Befriend them. Walk with them through difficulty. Make it your job not to be the judge of their life, but the one who actually walks with them in life. Whatever it is, Peter says, that God's given you, use it to God's glory here in the church and forevermore. Then I think you and I are going to be the ones who have the smirk on our face. You and I are going to be the ones who find forever, beautiful, lavish, carefree home that you and I can honestly look at other people and smile and say, you know what, I'm blessed because I truly never have to leave. I found my home. Hey, as you leave today, I hope that those words ring in your ears that God is good. Let that motivate us to put sin behind us, to trust in his coming blessings and to work for him today. Heartland, we love you. We'll see you next week.